Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's Jeremiah 29:11. That's one of my life verses in the Bible. It has been the theme of my ministry. It's a promise of God for you. God has a plan for your life. I'm proof there's a future after abuse. Contrary to popular belief, God doesn't want to hurt or punish you. How did you like Brian on the show? He has an interesting life, huh? As he said, he hasn't been feeling well lately, but I caught him on a good day to come on the show. He was very honest and open with you with his past, his failures, his feelings. I don't know if you could hear he was getting emotional in a couple of places. I wanted him to tell his story because it shows that God can do great things in your life, even when your past has not been so great, or even a disaster. We want to be real with you guys and gals. God has certainly blessed our marriage, but we're not perfect. We definitely have our struggles, our faults, and bad days. We have to choose to daily show each other grace and forgiveness. If we come here on the show making ourselves look like we have it all together, you're going to think, we can't relate to these people. I've been really enjoying the process of recording the podcast so far. Preparing, researching, planning who I'll invite as a guest on the podcast. I have some great episodes planned for you. I'm really excited. It's a learning process for sure. I listened again to the episode so far. We're our own worst critic, right? I hear all of my mistakes. Now, I mentioned that I have some memory loss. Part of that fun is that I have trouble stringing sentences together. I'm searching for a word. There are long pauses. I'm looking at the corner of the room. (laughs) I'm okay when I stick to my outline, but I veer off after that. That's when I have the problems. Now, I could edit all that out and make it sound perfect. But to be honest with you, I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. 
I don't have Jordan Harbinger's production team. If you're listening, Jordan, I love your show. <laughs> He's been podcasting for 30 years. Anyway, I'm not going to edit stuff out unless I made a big, legit mistake. Eventually, I'll smooth out those rough edges as I go. Now, it's not like public speaking, <laughs> memorizing a speech, and no one remembered what you said later. My last speaking event was outside of Paris when we were in France in 2019. We had a concert and told our testimonies in all three services at the church that my professor from college started. Pastor Hanson started a church out there. I did the same speech in 2016 and then again 2019, this past October. Everyone laughed when I told the same jokes as before. <laughs> I had my speech notes written down word for word in French. I rehearsed that speech for months so I would get it just right. Now, I do speak intermediate-level French, but it was a pretty big speech. I didn't want to mess it up or offend anybody, you know? Meanwhile, I hope you all stick with me. <laughs> Again, I want you to see that I'm a real person with real problems. I'm not going to let my health issues stop me from doing what God has called me to do. I want to encourage you to get out there and do what God has called you to do, regardless of the circumstances or challenges that you face. Now, what I wanted to do is go back to the part of Brian's story about the abuse in his brother's church he experienced. I wanted to talk about spiritual abuse because that is where my expertise comes in. That is the kind of abuse that I've experienced the most, the one that I'm the most knowledgeable about. Now, the other abuses, yes, they are horrible. There are some abuses I have not experienced myself. But I think that spiritual abuse, the difference with that is it distorts your perception and relationship with God. And when something affects your relationship with God, that affects your eternity sometimes. If you're not if you're not in communication with the Lord or you are scared away from God in the church because you are spiritual spiritually abused, you're uh, you're probably not going to want to get saved. You're probably not going to want to go to church. You're probably not going to want to read your Bible or be around Christians. And that's natural. So I wanted to go over spiritual abuse since we were already on that thread to begin with and talk about the different kinds of spiritual abuse and what is spiritual blah. What spiritual abuse is? So, what constitutes spiritual abuse? You hear about it a lot. Is it just referring to cults? It does include cults, but it is so much more. Remember, it's all about power and control. Now, I've been watching Leia Remini's Scientology and the Aftermath show on A&E from the beginning. 
It is horrifying and fascinating at the same time. If you haven't been watching the show, Leah is a former Scientologist, as well as her co-host, Mike Rindell. Now, they're trying to expose the workings of a dangerous and very powerful cult. So many victims come forward to tell stories of how this so-called church has destroyed their lives. The bad part of it is that the church seems to be immune to the law and paying taxes to the IRS. The Scientologists, among other cultic religious groups, share distinctive characteristics that all point to spiritual abuse. So first we'll define what spiritual abuse is. Here it goes. Anyone who uses God, religion, religious texts to manipulate followers to do what they want. Spiritual abusers typically threaten victims with eternal damnation or similar punishments to gain compliance. Now, my husband, as you've heard, and myself have personally experienced multiple forms of spiritual abuse. This topic hits home for us, and it's a common thread with others who experience abuse within religious groups. Now, I share stories of many, many people in my uh, inner circle that have gone through similar things, so we're not, we're not the only ones. Now, the first thing that is common with spiritual abuse is unorthodox doctrines. So obviously you'd think a person claiming he has special revelation from God that no one else has or that he is God is a huge red flag. But maybe it isn't so obvious to someone who falls for it every time. You know, Jim Jones got a whole community to drink the Kool-Aid. This sort of thing could happen in any religious group. Religious groups who think they are the only ones who have the truth are dangerous. Now, most of my readers on this blog are Christians, so we're going to focus on major Christian groups right now. There are certain core beliefs that all Christians have in common. You know, the Apostles' Creed is a very familiar list of those beliefs. Some of them are the virgin birth, the inspiration of scripture, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, sinful man that needs a savior, believer's baptism, and salvation by grace, of course. So most cults and some Christian churches either twist and distort these truths or add something extra, strange beliefs, to those things. Isolation is normally used to keep congregants in line so they can't hear the truth from the outsiders. The fact is, when you're cut off from other people, weird beliefs can creep in without anyone questioning them. You are prime targets for brainwashing once you hear something over and over and over. You start to believe it. It is only by checks and balances of other Orthodox believers that keep us from falling into these types of groups. So the key is to look for strange, out-of-the-ordinary beliefs. Trust your intuition. One of the major telltale signs of a cult is that they change who God is. Saying that Jesus and Satan are related or equal to each other is hearsay. Changing God into something like the Force in Star Wars is not right. Now, I, I love Star Wars. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's great, great movies, great franchise. The Holy Spirit is not the Force. And God doesn't hate anyone. No matter what some groups may say, 
God is love, and he wants all of his creation to be saved. So another red flag is thinking that their way of doing something is the only way. It's very common. So obviously, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation and eternal life. Yet, there are many denominations of Christianity, some with different practices, traditions, and governing styles in worship music, right? They all believe Jesus to be the Savior. Now, it would be wrong for the pastor at Blue River Christian Church to say that the church across the street, Tree Grove Christian Church, is going to hell because Tree Grove doesn't do things exactly the way Blue River does it. Do you think this is an exaggeration? Well, it's not. My previous church denomination has multiple churches in every city, sometimes within walking distance of each other. The basic doctrines are the same, yet one church wouldn't fellowship with another church because the other church lets women wear pants and has contemporary worship music. <gasps> yes, it's that insane. As Christians, we have to focus on the person and relationship with Jesus Christ rather than focusing on various man-made rules that don't matter a hill of beans in eternity. Oh, Diana, but what about standards? Let me tell you that more people have been damaged in the cause of Christ over standards than anything else. Do you know why unbelievers don't want anything to do with Christianity? Or why believers leave the church? It's certainly not because of Jesus. It's usually the church leaders and the church members who scare them away or disgust them with so many frivolous man-made rules. Jesus never talked about dress code, hairstyles, worship music, or a host of other useless things. So listen to this one. They take away your personal choices. That's a huge red flag. God, in his wisdom, gave us free will to choose. Sometimes we make good choices, and a lot of times we make poor choices. But God does not force himself on us to accept him. We must make the choice ourselves. Spiritual abuse occurs in those churches who tell you who to marry, what kind of birth control to use, or not to use, what kind of clothes to wear, what kind of music to listen to, where to go to college, what career to follow, what neighborhood to live in, and how to spend your money. And they leverage eternity or peer pressure to get compliance. I'm not talking about the pastor preaching against being unequally yoked, like marrying a non-Christian. We all know we should be marrying believers not unbelievers, but how about someone who is poor and your family is rich? Or your beloved is another race? You know, one story is a guy I dated in college. In fact, I was engaged to a Peruvian fellow in college. When I told my pastor that we were engaged, he wouldn't even shake my hand or congratulate me. He said, thanks for telling me. He didn't believe that the Spanish-speaking church members should be marrying English-speaking church members. What? I slinked away from that conversation real fast. 
Yeah, that's racism. The same thing happened to another couple. A black woman and a white man wanted to get married in the church. Well, they had to get married in another denomination. Well, guess what? God said not to marry heathen nations, but there's no mention about skin color in the Bible. And don't get me started on child brides and arranged marriages. This happens a lot in foreign countries, but most people don't know it also happens here in the States. The fundamentalist Mormons aren't the only ones who have forced marriages between young girls to older men. You should be able to choose who you want to marry. No one else. I personally know a Christian white couple who had an arranged marriage by their preacher parents. A 16-year-old girl who does that to their children. They looked like the perfect couple. You know, on the outside for a long time. Now, they're divorced today, by the way. I may try and have her on the podcast if she would agree to tell her story. The thing is, our American culture doesn't have arranged marriages. Yes, India and the Middle East cultures and some Asian countries do. Although that is part of their culture, I believe everyone should be able to choose who they spend their life with. I don't know how the religious leaders would know you are using birth control unless you told them, but many people are being intimidated into using a particular kind of birth control the church allows them to use. For example, the calendar method versus other methods like the pill. Folks are told how many children to have or asking why they don't have any children. Religious leaders tell you you're gonna go to hell if you prevent a pregnancy or refuse to have any more children. Now, incorrect medical information is given to believers in order to scare them. Birth control is not the same as abortion. If you are pregnant, the pill will not end the pregnancy. The morning after pill, plan B, is just a heavy batch of the same hormones used in birth control pills. Only the RU486 is the actual abortion pill. So again, the pill and plan B don't work if you're already pregnant. I'm a pharmacy professional, been working in the healthcare industry for 14 years. You need to have correct medical information. It's between you and God and your spouse to decide how many children to have, not the church. And threatening eternal damnation in order to get compliance is wrong. All right, dress code. You knew this was going to come up eventually, right? (laughs) I mean, everyone knows that you should dress in your Sunday best for church, right? Well, in the United States, that's only the case in certain areas. The tradition is a dress for the ladies and a suit and tie for the men. But it's a tradition, and that's all it is. Some churches use shaming tactics to manipulate people to conform to their preferences. They make it seem that someone in a suit and tie is more spiritual than a person in a jeans and t-shirt. They make it seem that we get extra credit from God by wearing a particular outfit. Guess what? You won't find a dress code for the church in the Bible because there wasn't one. You know, most people in Bible times had one outfit, period. 
You would think that Christians believe that Jesus and the apostles wore suits and ties and had Baptist haircuts by the way they talk. Now, the Bible talks about modesty, yes, but that word modesty means different things to different people. So, in the Middle East, it's a burqa or a veil. Now, in California, pants and a polo shirt are modest. The church that I attend now doesn't have a dress code. You know, I'm in Arizona, and it is hot here, up to 120 degrees here, nine months out of the year. Wearing a suit here is uncomfortable, to say the least. People wear shorts, tank tops, sandals, jeans, t-shirts to church. I've never seen my pastor in a suit. He wears khakis and a polo most of the time, or a button-down shirt. Now, some of the pastors on staff I've seen wear flip-flops and jeans and a t-shirt. And you know what? The world doesn't come to an end. First Samuel 16, 7 says, Man sees the outside, but God sees the heart. People still get saved. We still have regular baptisms and visitors coming to the church. You can still love Jesus no matter what you wear. Ladies, you can wear pants and still love Jesus. So here we go, the old tired Christian music debate. Well, I'm not going to mention the music during the church services. I'm talking about the music you listen to in your personal time. There are those churches that don't believe in listening to secular music of any kind. That's fine, but they don't want anybody else listening to secular music either. And they will judge you for it. Listen, no one goes to hell because they dance to some Lionel Richie. No one stops reading their Bible or going to church because of a few Usher songs. Sin and backsliding goes much deeper than the music you listen to. Now, as you've heard, my husband and I are musicians, and we play and enjoy a variety of music genres, and we still love and serve Jesus. You know, it's nothing but pure legalism. So... The next thing on my list here is shaming you or looking down on secular careers is not serving God. Missionaries and pastors are like rock stars in some churches. Now, if you want to go to school for engineering, for example, you're not perceived as spiritual or dedicated. A lot of pressure is put on college-age kids to go into ministry, whether they're called by God or not. Now, trust me. I am not minimizing the call of God on our wonderful missionaries. I was one myself for 13 years. Friend, there is honor in all work that you do in God's strength. We need Christian mechanics, salesmen, doctors, lawyers, and business owners. In fact, you are still a missionary at your work every day. No one should shame you or manipulate you into doing something you don't want. Now, do you have to send your kid to a Christian school? God can use Christians in secular colleges also. Now, it comes down to the spiritual maturity of the believer and having a firm biblical foundation to begin with. I used to have the view that Christians should only go to Christian colleges. I myself went to a Christian college. They are great if you want to go into full-time ministry like I did, but 
if you want to do any other career, then Christian colleges don't measure up to secular universities for math, science, and medical. When I was no longer in full-time church ministry, my ministry degree was not useful for obtaining a job outside, even though most of the courses were the same. Employers don't look at it the same way. Even if you transfer to a state college, many of your courses won't transfer. I wish that I had gone to another school looking back. So here's another story of another family being shamed in another way. I was in ministry at a church in New Jersey, and my pastor would tell staff members that they had to live in town near the church. One of the youth leaders lived in the suburbs outside the city, and the pastor would humiliate this family from the pulpit, criticizing the choice the family made to live in the country instead of the city. Now, I don't blame them. The city we were in was very dangerous. That family left the church instead of dealing with the ridicule. Crazy stories, people. Now, another thing that is common in churches that have spiritual abuse is that they distort God's gift of sex in some way. It is preached in a lot of churches that women exist to meet the man's sexual needs. The women get married and told they can't refuse to give their husbands sex for any reason. Did you know that in the Law of Moses, women were not to be touched during her period or after childbirth? Why? Because it was time for the woman to rest and to heal during those times. In churches today, women's needs, feelings, or health issues are never acknowledged. Women are receptacles and baby makers, and that's it. Not only is that spiritual abuse, it's sexual abuse. I personally know a wife who was forced to have sex seven times a day. When she refused, he would quote Bible verses at her to make her comply. Folks, that is rape. Yes, you can be married and still be raped. Because rape is defined as sexual activity without consent. And religious leaders keep condoning this stuff and teaching it from the pulpit. Sex is supposed to be mutually satisfying, an expression of love. Now, I may see if I can get, um, get her on the podcast. Um, she's on the other side of the world, but we'll see if we can get her on the show to tell her story. The other is this purity culture that... <laughs> focuses so much on virginity. Sometimes it seems like virginity is worshipped as much as Jesus. If you save yourself for marriage and marry a Christian, you will be happily married. That's what they promise. But that isn't true. Those who make a mistake get treated as outcasts. They're not taught of God's grace and mercy. That they can be still forgiven and have a good marriage in the future. People sin. People make mistakes. Sexual sin is not the unpardonable sin. Now let's move on to money. They pressure you to give money or there is financial distortion going on. We all poke fun at the televangelists who ask you for money on the TV, promising you blessings if you would just give. There are plenty of people who send in the money. Yes, the red flag should go up if the church's leaders live in the lap of luxury. There are other considerations too. Now, some churches make you tell them what you're tithing, or even if you are tithing. It's never a secret. You couldn't, 
you couldn't serve in the church unless you were giving your 10%. Some churches will even ask for pay stubs. Now, a church that I was a youth director at had Give It All Sunday a couple times a year. Now, what this was, is church members were pressured into giving their entire paycheck to the church. And we were supposed to have faith that God would supply our needs until the next paycheck. Now, the church community was dirt poor. So, (laughs) my thinking was, now how would we pay our rent or mortgage or pay our power bill with no money? Is that what I'm going to tell the mortgage company? Well, I can't pay you this month because I gave the money to the church. No, that's not right. God does provide our needs by giving us a job with a paycheck. I'm very thankful for my job. Now, God never demands us to give all of our money away to the church. That's stupidity, not faith. Now, if you want to give to the church, then you pray about what God wants you to give. Yes, there's the 10% in the law of Moses, but actually, you know, God's money all belongs to him. All of our stuff belongs to him. It's a blessing to be able to give to God's work, but it should never be forced. You should never be given a guilt trip over this. So here's another example. There was this young preacher boy uh, at my church when I was in college. Now, he was a bus kid, and he was poor. Now, he had a couple hundred bucks to spend, and he wanted to get a used car so he could go out and get a good job. He provided for his family, and he's a teenager. Now, the church pressured him into buying a suit and a tie instead of a car so he would look like a preacher boy. Now, that doesn't make a lick of sense in so many ways. Now, if he had a car, then he can get a job. And then he would have money to buy a suit later. Again, Jesus was poor and had one item of clothing, just like a lot of people in those days. And Jesus doesn't care about your clothes. What he cares about is people. Okay, here's a big one. A church that is spiritually abusing their congregation promotes hatred towards other people. Now, I don't care what you believe, but if your religion tells you to hate people, then that isn't a God worth following. Any people group that is different from you in any way should be given the same respect and courtesy as the next person. For example, the gay community is the hot topic right now. Many horrible things have been done in the name of God against the LGBT community. Now, Jesus never said to go out into the world and convert the gays into straight people. He said to love your neighbor as yourself. He said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. They need Jesus as much as everyone else. And they aren't going to hear the gospel and love Jesus if we show hatred towards them or throw them out of our church. Now, you don't have to condone behavior you don't believe in. But if a church makes you choose between being kind and loving or hateful, You should always choose to love. Well, Diana, what about God calling it an abomination? Good question. The answer is, God calls many things an abomination. Read Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. It says, There are six things which the Lord hates, 
Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. So what does that mean? All sin is the same in God's eyes. So here's the, uh, the next one on the list. Church is more important than family or work. That is a sign that you may be in an unhealthy church. Now, of course, we all know that the commandment says to keep holy the Sabbath day. Now, gathering together in fellowship with other believers is an important part of our spiritual walk. But at times, it can get out of balance. It can turn into spiritual abuse if you're not mindful of a few important things. Now, there are churches that meet Sunday mornings once a week. Then there's the other side of the pendulum where they meet. Sunday school, morning service, evening service, midweek service. And then you have all the additional stuff like soul winning, Bible studies, choir practice. You've got churches with too much going on. I mean, me, during college, I was exhausted from serving the Lord, quote-unquote. I picked up kids Sunday morning on the buses for church. We attended Sunday school and then children's church, which I taught. And after the morning services, we'd get back on the buses and take the kids home. I would have lunch and maybe a nap if I was lucky. Then we went to choir practice and then the evening service. So after the evening service, there was usually like an afterglow fellowship for the singles. When I got home, I had to do homework until about midnight. That's because I worked during the day and then went to school at night. Wednesday nights, we were at church for the midweek service and prayer. Thursdays were for soul winning and visitation. Saturdays were for bus visitation. So it would start all over again next week. I can't imagine a family with kids doing all this, but I had classmates with a spouse and seven kids that did all this and more. It was insane. I mean, don't, don't forget vacation Bible school, women's retreats, revivals, and missions conferences. These services were not optional. You were expected to be there if you were a member of the church. They didn't care if you had work or if you had family responsibilities. Church services were elevated above everything else. It really is exhausting. I know that some of you listening have gone through this or doing this now. Listen to this one truth, friend. God instituted the family first, long before he instituted the church. In fact, God also instituted work long before church. Don't ever neglect your family or providing for your family over church services and activities. You can serve God with the resources and talents God gives you without destroying your family or losing your job. Personal Bible reading, prayer and worship with your family honors God. Running yourself ragged for the church while your family goes to pot does not glorify God. So some stories of spiritual abuse, an example of that would be, I wanted to serve as a choir member, but the pastor wouldn't let me because I wasn't at church on Wednesday nights. I had to go to work. 
he wouldn't make an exception for my situation. Here's another one. I stood up during testimony time and praised God that I got a new job. The silence was deafening. They didn't believe in women working outside the home, even though I didn't have kids. And another one. I worked a paper route at 6 a.m. so I wouldn't have to go to work on Sundays. They expected me to show up to soul winning group Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. instead of getting my proper sleep. It's, you know, that's really imbalanced, folks. Now, some professions require working around the clock, which includes the Sabbath. You know, nurses, doctors, pharmacies, security guards, and hospital staff. They shouldn't be penalized for having to work an occasional Sunday or a rotating Sunday. Sometimes employers not in these fields require it of their employees, and the employee's not able to quit because of financial struggles. Sometimes God provides a better job. Sometimes it takes longer. Either way, God knows our hearts and understands our want to worship with a congregation and not being able to. Sometimes those additional services midweek or Sunday nights can help bridge that gap. Personal Bible study and prayer on your own is always possible to keep your relationship with God strong until he provides a better job. Don't ever tell someone to quit their job because they're working on Sundays out of faith. Maybe give them some good leads on other good jobs instead. All right, we need to talk about a topic that's really important. Some churches hide abuse or criminal behavior. Now, this seems like a no-brainer, but I see it all the time. A church leader tolerates a pedophile, covers it up, backs up the abuser, and lets it continue to happen. And I've said this before. Sometimes it's the church leader who's the culprit. I've seen financial shenanigans going on with the church's money and nobody stops it. I've seen staff members addicted to porn or fornicating within the church. And everybody knows it's going on and gossips about it, but no church discipline takes place. Run away from this kind of church. Nothing good comes up. You know, God gave us the Holy Spirit in order that he would speak to us about what's the right path for us. You know, he also speaks to us in his word. Yes, yeah, sometimes God can speak through someone prominent in our lives who gives us advice and counsel. But in the end, you and no one else is responsible for your life choices. It may be a bad choice, <laughs> but that's how we learn and grow. But no one has the right to be the Holy Spirit for you, including religious leaders. Spiritual abuse has long-term effects for its victims. You know, spirituality and religion are supposed to be a blessing, a comfort, and a guide for our lives. When it's abused or twisted into something, it's not. Then it causes so much damage. It's one of the worst kinds of abuses, in my opinion. It has an impact on us in our eternal choices because of distorted facts anger directed against God, and unnecessary fear. Have you experienced any of these? Do you have any stories to share? If you've been a victim of spiritual abuse, there, there is hope that you can have a genuine, loving relationship with the real God without being manipulated, coerced, 
or shamed. Jesus, the real Jesus, is separate from religious power. And we're going to be talking more about spiritual abuse, uh, maybe some cult stuff too. And I know some of our listeners have been a part of a an actual cult. We'll go ahead and see if I can get some guests for that topic as well. So we're going to keep talking about this and what we can do to recover from this kind of spiritual abuse. Now we've gotten to know each other a little bit here, so I'm going to play for you the song that I wrote about domestic violence. It's called Break These Chains. It's a blues song. I wrote this as a reflection of what has happened to me and people in my life. The first verse is me. The other verses are about the churches I've been a part of and witnessing other people going through abuse. But it does have a happy ending, so I hope you enjoy it. It is a long song, but let me know what you think. You wake up each day Two spies, a couple fighting a lot 
Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.